0: Tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, and remember you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada, also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Now, my co host is not here with me this week, so our guests this week, and he'll be filling in. Um, to me, is fast becoming one of the more recognizable faces in media in our sport. He's a regular host, presenter, and reporter. He also does some work with the Olympic Channel, and his vibrant energy energy is always enjoyed on our podcast. We've had him a couple of times in the past. Uh, Nick McCarville, thanks uh, so much for joining us this week.
1: Yeah, uh, it's dangerous when you an American for a Canadian, but I will try to fill Mike as best as possible this week. <laughs>
0: No, I, I trust uh, I trust your knowledge in this area, and we'll try to not not just cover uh, Canadian stuff, but but everything if we can. And uh, I, I guess I want to start with you, just in terms of maybe how dramatically different your role in the sport has been uh, since the pandemic, because obviously I think uh, we're used to seeing you you know on site at tournaments and uh, that obviously couldn't happen for months and really still can't happen. How has your role world really changed just covering tennis over the past several months?
1: Yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, I, th- I think the sports uh, scene has changed for everyone. For me, I got to do some cool side projects that I hadn't done before, Ben. I, I worked with Wimbledon on a video series. I did some more writing than I have in the past for the U S Olympic team for tennis magazine um, for a few other editors that I work with. And then you mentioned the Olympic channel. I'm working with them almost on a full-time basis now doing more Olympic sports. So tennis is included in that, which is fun. That includes a lot of the figurating stuff that I've done in the past as well and learning a lot of new sports there. And then the U.S. Open, I, I'm one of the lucky few that will be on site the UFDA with the World Beat commentary team. We're in the bubble. We're going to be tier two, which means that we don't have direct relations with the players as far as seeing them in person, but we're going to be there on site and tested and trying to be as safe as possible in the bubble while we commentate on matches.
0: Wow. Wow. So that's, uh, that's great to hear that. You, I guess you still have that opportunity to go to the U S open, maybe something you wouldn't have expected uh, to be a possibility just, just a couple of months ago. So, yeah i guess to to follow up from that how do you maybe kind of work and prepare just in in this completely different scenario where you know you you are essentially just a part of this bubble i'm sure this is going to be like a completely new experience
1: yeah you know all the reports i'm hearing from colleagues that are already on the ground for not cincinnati in new york is that things are pretty good you know that the usda has put a lot of thought into this process they had to to even pull off the event itself Ben. so I I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the most fun because we're at the hotel, you take a shuttle, you go to site, you're wearing your mask. You know, these are just new things that we're all getting used to in our world full stop. Um, But I'm obviously looking forward to calling some live tennis, hopefully doing some cool interviews and uh, just kind of being a part of uh, an event that hasn't really, uh, it's unprecedented. It's a word that we've heard a lot the last few months. And I think that, The tennis world is trying to figure out exactly how we can move forward. Obviously, Tennis Canada having to cancel Rogers Cup this summer, that was hugely disappointing. But I think now we're seeing what can we make happen. And I think the U.S. Open is trying to show that we can have top-level professional tennis, even while the world is dealing with much more serious issues.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, I think maybe there was still kind of the uncertainty in the sense when we were just seeing exhibitions, and obviously we had the totally failed one, uh, Novak Djokovic's Baby the Adria Tour, um, but like little things like World Team Tennis um, sort of building towards the return of professional tennis, and and now we're in the midst of it with the Western and Southern Open. As you pointed out, it, it's not in Cincinnati, but it's in the bubble in New York. Um, I, I guess I wanted to start on the women's side, uh, just because I, I think we're Getting some interesting storylines already you know we we have a lot of top players trying to get their feet wet getting back into match play and understandably sort of seeing these early exits from top players our australian open champion sophia cannon lost early carolina plishkova lost early um, is this surprising you at at all or is this maybe to to be expected because we've we've been off for so many months
1: yeah i mean i thought there that i think to expect the unexpected because we don't necessarily have... the run-up that we would usually have to a major event to any of the slumps, and I think especially on the women's side there's always opportunity for upsets but Andy Murray said the other day been impressed that this we're going to see more upsets on the men's side than we've ever seen before and I think that you can translate that over to the women's side because players aren't grooved in they're not necessarily they don't have the match play they don't have the match toughness There's the difference mentally, I think, for players with no audience being there, no crowd. I think that's offering a, a different dynamic. So I think when we talk about, especially on the women's side, it always feels open it somehow even feels more open because you just have opportunity knocking for a player who comes through qualifying or has a good couple first round matches where they're winning in three sets or they can build their confidence. And then I think that that really helps them get grooved into the tournament. So, you know, it was best of luck trying to pick a, a women's winner in the last couple of years as far as who's going to rise to the top. I think it's even harder to do so now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's a good point. I think about uh, the no crowd factor to me. um, And and I've heard this talked about actually on the NBA side, in a sense, is it's almost the great equalizer. And maybe for for underdogs in those huge moments under pressure, you know, your 30, 40 points late in sets, um, not feeling so much pressure from the crowd who might be pulling for, for the star champion. It, it could be maybe the superstars who are feeling it a little more uh, with without a crowd. I, I don't know. Would you agree with that?
1: Tennis is a game of pressure points, right? When you get into the top level of either the WTA or the ATP, it's really about who wins the most important points. And I would say that when you've got a big crowd, when you're at a Grand Slam, when the grounds are buzzing, you've got 20,000 people in Ash, you've got 15,000 people in Louis those pressure points are tougher for the lower ranked players because they haven't quote unquote been there as much before, or they might be a young up and coming player or someone who hasn't had the experience in front of a big crowd like that as often as the top ranked players, the experienced players. So again, I just feel like it opens things up and, you know, I think that there might be the argument of, well, it's going to, you know, we're going to have quarter finalists we've never heard of before or players that are lower ranked. You look at the women's side where we've, Lost six of the top 10 because of COVID 19, because people don't necessarily want to travel to New York. That was their choice not to be there. But I think that for me, it just adds another layer of excitement in the sense of you just don't know what to expect. And I think it's going to give us a lot of opportunities for a breakthrough performance. You know, someone like Felix or Dennis or Layla, you talk about the Canadians who are going to have, if they win those first round and they're feeling good, can play with anyone in the sport so all of a sudden they're in the quarterfinals that's an opportunity for some of these players who have necessarily had the runs at slants before
0: yeah, certainly. Um, mo- momentum is going to be huge. And I think that's that segues uh, nicely to so maybe my, my next question of just looking at some of the names and trying to identify maybe some young names on the women's side who at least uh, could ba- break through. Uh, I love that you mentioned Layla Annie Fernandez, uh, because we, we really like uh, her chances here, just considering she's only 17 years old and um, even before the pandemic hit she was playing such terrific tennis making a final in Acapulco. um any other names maybe standing out to you as well jennifer brady just notched her first title last week another american jessica Pegula, playing quite well there's there seems to be a lot of names that i don't think are household names yet but suddenly kind of playing some of their best tennis
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny the way these things work too is you and I will mention, what, five, ten names and then it'll be a a group of five or ten other players that have their breakthrough. But (laughs) I really do think, you know, Leila Fernandez is a player that I got to interview in 2019 at Roland Garros and she just struck me as someone who's like so singular minded. I've been really impressed with, it was last year at Rogers Cup, I think when I was up there with you that she just got blown out of the water in her first ever professional match was a little humbling, I think, for her and realizing that she's got more work to put in for herself overall. Um, Elena Rybakina is a player that a lot of us are excited about on the women's side. Big hitter, six foot tall. Um, it plays without any fear. You can never go <laughs> in that because she's got this incredible poker face. Uh, the Americans are obviously excited about Coco Goth and we can see her, did a, a really great interview or had the opportunity to speak with on who's the tunisian player she's not young ben she's 25 she's been on tour now for six or seven years but i think that we also have to watch out for those kind of players the Jabours of the game alice Cornet, anyone who's kind of kind of floating in uh, mid-level who again could gain confidence off of a couple good match wins and have the opportunity to make a big run um you know, Naomi Osaka is obviously a proven world number one, a Grand Slam champion. I'm really going to miss out on not having Bianca Andrescu, not having Ash Barty. I think that's hugely disappointing. Belinda Bencic. These are the players, that obviously, it was their choice, right? They, they made the choice not to come to the U.S. Open. But I think that there is that opportunity, though, for those younger players um, Jen Brady is one that we've been watching in the States now for two or three years. She kind of plays an unorthodox style of tennis. She comes into the net a lot. She's athletic. She moves the ball around the court well. It's just the belief factor. Does she believe that she can hang and make a slam quarterfinal, make a run to a title? I think that's going to play a big factor too. One thing Angebr was telling me for Olympic Channel is that she worked a lot on her mental game when she was in quarantine so sure she was maintaining her tennis as much as she could but she feels as though the mental piece is what's going to give her the leg up when they come back on tour
0: yeah, Oh, and I should note, Shabur actually uh, defeated Leila Annie Fernandez in a tough three-set match uh, early on in the Western and Southern Open, and uh, she's not from, as you mentioned, a traditional tennis country at all, Tunisia, and uh, she made some history earlier at the Australian Open, first Grand Slam quarterfinal uh, by an Arab female player, so very impressive for her. I'm curious to see what what she does i think we have to touch on B, uh, bianca andrescu because yes we're obviously disappointed that uh, she can't be here to defend her title and uh, you and i have both seen her up close and seen like how incredibly talented she is just at rogers cup and then of course uh moving into to win the u.s open uh later that summer um I guess our concern is it's it's now been like 10 months since she's played a professional match. And uh, like we, we had the statement about why she wasn't playing the U.S. Open, lack of match preparation. But I, I think we have maybe some trepidations about her health. Do, do you think long term health is, is going to be a, a concern for her? Is this something she's she's going to maybe just be dealing with for the bulk of her career? I wonder.
1: Yeah, I mean, you put that really well, Ben. I think the concern for me is the fact that we haven't had any professional tennis in as long as we have and that she still wasn't able to get her body right. And I think that time is on Bianca's side. She's got all the time in the world in the sense of she's still a teenager. She's someone that has a long road ahead of her. But when you look at body management and injuries and the fact that traditionally you're playing every other week, you're playing 15 to 20 events a year, Uh, for Bianca, she obviously has the ability to go deep at the slams. It worries me that she, they just haven't necessarily been able to figure out the body. And I think for a long time it was the shoulder and then it moved down to the lower back. And now from what I understand, it's a different injury that they were actually feeling good. And another injury popped up before the U S open deadline came up and she just felt like she wasn't at the level she wanted to be at. I think, you know, she's one of the hardest workers out there. I've really appreciated the little bit of time I've been able to spend with her. She thinks in a a way that I haven't seen in women's tennis in a while. And we saw that at the U.S. Open with that title run last year. She literally refused to lose. And that's what Sophia Kennan did, I think, at the Australian Open too. The, The body management is really important. And I think she's got all, you know, all the team, Tennis Canada, everyone around her to try to make that right. But that is going to be really her Achilles heel is going to be the body and trying to figure out how to keep her Achilles healthy, but keep the entire body healthy in her career yeah I was gonna
0: say perhaps literally it might be the Achilles heel we'll see I, it sounds like she's dealing with a, a foot injury right now though that's unclear and um, we're trying to remain hopeful maybe she can make a return to, to the clay court swing which you think would be a bit easier on her body than than some of the hard courts uh, in New York um, I'll just touch on Serena Williams as well you know we, we've we talked a lot on our podcast at least about the quest for, for 24 and I just want an evaluation maybe from you of, of what you've seen from her so far I I mean, it's not been that many matches, of course. She played in Lexington. She had that fun match against her sister, Venus. Um, It feels like she keeps getting herself into these long, long three-set battles, though, and kind of like grinding it out. And I'm thinking maybe once we arrive to the Grand Slam tournament, that's not going to be the ultimate recipe for success for Serena if she wants to get another Grand Slam.
1: Yeah, the point's well made there for sure on the longer matches. I don't think she minds the match play right now. I think it's good for her to be out there on court. It's funny when you look at tennis Twitter after she plays and people are like, oh my God, vintage Serena's back and then that's the worst match I've ever seen. I mean, it runs the gamut as Twitter always does. But, you know, I I think it's probably looked scratchy in a lot of ways. I think if you look at the Venus match, she played – Definitely better in that match, I think, than the other four matches that I've seen her play. Um, Serena's a fighter, though, and when we get her into a U.S. Open scenario, whether there's 23,000 fans watching or 23 people in Arthur thrash stadium, she's going to figure out a way to get herself into a winning position. Uh, I I just don't know if I feel comfortable kind of saying she's going to make a deep run at the U.S. Open or she's going to lose in the first round. I just don't think we know. I I think she could get a really tough first-round match against a player that might mix up the pace well and might make her uncomfortable on the court, and she's bundled out of the U.S. Open. Or I think that she could win that number 24. I do think watching her in those four slam finals that she was not able to get 24 since having Olympia three years ago is that she is going to be aided by not having the pressure of thousands of people. I really do think that she's going to go internal with it. And I I saw that a lot in Lexington with her just kind of being able to dig in and focus on what she needed to do. Um, So I think that that's what she's going to have to to focus on so open but it's tough i mean you you try to imagine the pressure that she feels and last year at the us open i was commenting i it really did feel like she was going to have this big breakthrough and to win that number 24 and she didn't so it's it's anyone's guess ben as to if she's going to be able to to make it happen
0: yeah, uh, and I think that, that last U.S. Open final was very much kind of the Canadian versus U.S. fans, like everybody sort of gritting their te- teeth in fear uh, as Bianca saw like a 5-1 lead slip away, but then uh, managed to close out Serena Williams. And, and of course, as well, there are a few of the the big faces who will not be there as threats for Serena. I, I think she's had trouble facing Bianca in the past and some others like Simona Halla, Ash Barty, uh, Belinda Bencic, some other players who, who are not going to be be there so it certainly feels like an opportunity is presenting itself here um, we'll, we'll get to the men's side uh, because I, I want to talk uh, we'll start uh, probably on Novak Djokovic I think is the best place because as of now he is still undefeated in 2020 and of course Nadal and Federer are not going to be at the U.S. Open um, but you're still coming in cold just as every other player is without professional match play do you think Do you think we would be attaching an asterisk to to a Novak Djokovic Grand Slam title at the U.S. Open, or or would that be unfair?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just unfair. It, it's it's a slam. Uh, you know, the fact that some players have chosen to come. Obviously, Federer out with the injury. Rafa choosing not to make the to New York City. Uh, Stan Wawrinka doing the same. Um, It's, we we really are in this weird point in history and we're seeing it with the NHL and the NBA and, and all these different bubbled leagues and some athletes not participating, what have you. We have, sport has figured out a way to come back. And so I think when you look at the case of Novak is that he's going to play the US Open field as he always does. And I think it also gives us a glimpse of what tennis might look like in a few years where you've got... Team and Zverev and Berrettini and Sisipas and Medvedev and these guys who are really trying to prove themselves and finally break through and win a slam. I think the Canadian boys are included in that. And I think for Djokovic, you can't say that you know, Rafa and Roger were gone and there was no Stan. I mean, it is what it is, literally. And you go out and you play the matches. I think the best of five sets are going to be very interesting on the men's side because they're not grooved in the way that we were talking about at the beginning. And I think that scarily behooves Novak even more because of how physically fit and how he's proven himself time and time again that he can win those longer drawn out matches we saw against team in the Australian Open final. He just figures out a way to move those chess pieces to cross the finish line first. And it's hard right now to say that anything will stop him from doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I I have two names in mind of maybe the two who do potentially have the best chance to perhaps stop him here at the U.S. Open. And I want to get your take, and I'll give you mine. But who, who to you maybe is the bigger threat um, at Flushing Meadows? Uh, Daniil Medvedev or, or Dominic Team?
1: Those are two great names. I, I mean, I can't disagree with you that you pull him out first from the hat. I love that. I think that Medvedev, to me, just offers a little bit of a more complicated equation because of his style of play. We watch Dominic Team, and I actually – uh kind of got to watch that Australian Open final as a fan. I was done working, but I still was on site in Melbourne and somehow got a ticket into like the last row and the way that Ben team was trying to attack Novak and overpower him and he was just absolutely thumping every ball from the baseline i think that there might be some tactical decisions that team could go after that i'm sure he's talked with nicholas masu his coach about of how to play novak quote-unquote differently but i think because of the way that medvedev's game is unorthodox he mixes up the pace he can be infuriating he can go powerful he's got a good serve i think that that is the more difficult to solve equation for Djokovic when you just look at them as sort of who would you rather play? But I think those are definitely the first two guys that come to mind as well for me. I think Pass, the way that he was, if you look at his week in London last year at the ATP finals, I think that was um, sort of an example of what we can see from Pass. Now he has to figure out how does he do that in the slams? How does he actually make that happen? And that's where I think the best of five factor stacks on Novak's side of things because of his experience and because of how physically fit and undaunted he is by anyone over best of five.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I was hoping you'd go, go the Dominic team route because we we completely agree. And um, I, I'm just viewing Danil Medvedev and all the options he has in his game. And also the return to tennis, he feels like an absolute nightmare to play for anybody getting back on the tour right now. I mean, he's already hard enough to play as it is, you're just getting back in the groove of match play and it's like you're facing a human wall at the back of the baseline on the other side I think he's going to be very very difficult to to beat in that first week or so that you wonder if he gets into some great confidence and rhythm if he kind of rolls into a quarterfinal or semifinal he could be exceptionally dangerous and and we saw his ability obviously at last year's US Open final uh, to turn around a match against one of the greatest of all time uh, a match he looked you know dead and done against Rafael Nadal and his able to push it to a fifth set uh to me he is uh the next name on on my list of who could potentially win uh this u.s open
1: and i think it's interesting too dominic team i think someone put out there on twitter that he had played upwards of 25 matches uh in exhibitions during COVID 19 i heard i heard 27 actually 27 okay yeah. yeah so almost 30 matches and then he comes out and he loses to Philip Krajinovich barely winning a fistful of them in the first match at Cincinnati. that's where I think the upset can come in. That's where I think that, you know, you kind of have to throw everything out the window and... If you and I were to chat into week two of the U.S. Open, we might have a whole slate of players that we recognize, but we didn't necessarily expect to be there. I think that's been more common on the women's side, obviously, than the men's. But I think if we think back to last year at the U.S. Open, there were those surprise runs in the men's, round. Medvedev included, even though he'd had a great summer, it was can he prove himself over five sets. Matteo Berrettini making the run that he did. Grigor Dimitrov finding his form again. So I just think we're going to have some of those stories crop up at the U.S. Open which is strange in a lot of ways and maybe not as mainstream sexy as we're used to but it allows the opportunity for people like you and I to tell the stories of someone that hasn't necessarily had that great success at that level and I think that the men's draw we should be careful there too and that's why I think we bring it back to the Canadian perspective you do give an opportunity to someone like Felix and Dennis who've just been knocking on that door now for a while can you get a couple good wins and then you feel confident so you you think flowing a little bit really
0: yeah and uh, I I was just going to go in that direction because when when you look at a Dennis or a Felix resume you look just you know even physically at their games how athletic they are how terrific a shot maker Dennis is you know how well Felix moves and covers the court um, these two obviously have all the tools in the world um, in, in terms of their tennis game to, to reach the top in my opinion and and the only thing that has really been missing on that resume has been grand slam success we've maybe seen flashes from it from Dennis a few years ago reaching a uh, round of 16 at the U.S. Open um, Felix we, we've seen him get to ATP finals but we haven't seen a grand slam run uh, they did both lose in the second round uh, at the Western and Southern Open. I don't know if that is any cause for concern at, at all, but uh, they, they both seem to thrive on uh, just getting in like a rhythm and a groove. That, As you said, if, they, if, if Dennis opens with two like, rock-solid wins, he could channel that into maybe a run into the second week. Uh, we just haven't seen it yet.
1: You know, the way that uh, Dennis was able to play so unbridled in Montreal a couple years ago, that's the kind of confidence I'd like to see back from him. I think that his tennis has matured so much. He's got such a unique game in the way that he strikes the ball. And he and Felix have been able to push each other. I just think that sometimes you can see the pressure out there with them. And we've seen it with Felix has had some leads, I think, um, in different matches that he's let slip away. And, you know, it's hard to criticize because they both have been kind of climbing the ladder at a good pace. I think that maybe there's the want for one of them to have like this big, splashy breakthrough, sort of like Dennis had a couple years ago in Montreal. But, uh, you know, I think that I can't quite, for me, pinpoint what the X X factor is that they haven't been able to do that, Ben. And maybe you feel like you have a little better insight being Canadian and following them a little more closely, but I'm I'm just not quite sure what it is or when it is or how it's going to happen, but you do just kind of feel like there's that one ingredient that hasn't been shaken into the recipe. And I, I just can't quite, say what it is. And not to say that they're the same cases. Dennis and Felix are obviously two different players. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to see it happen at the U.S. Open. Uh, Absolutely. For, For one or for both of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh I'll I'll just I'll just say uh my my co-host Mike McIntyre with with Denis Shapovalov feels like um it is kind of a mental uh issue where if you look at his loss in the Australian Open for example to actually, um he seemed to let frustration get the better of him and, and kind of overtake his game and maybe getting in to a bit of a negative headspace and was never really able to turn the match around from there. Uh, So he wants to see more maybe consistent positive attitude from Dennis because he has someone who likes to fire himself up. He's also someone who likes to thrive off the crowd, which sadly won't be there for him this time around. So he's going to have to really problem solve in that scenario. Um, And then Felix, I I find sometimes his serve can let him down. Um, It's a bit spotty. You know, he has the power on that serve, um, but, But there are spaces where he he gets into bad habits with some double faulting. And even in his loss here at the Western and Southern Open, I believe he was break up in the third set and, and couldn't quite
1: close it out. If Dennis can bring the same confidence to the tennis court that he is to the uh, recording studio for his rap albums, <laughs> yes. then I mean, right? Hey, come on, we can't not mention that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. I know. He has all the confidence in the world in uh, what I would maybe call a subpar <laughs> rap performance. I, I don't think his rap skills are, you know, something to necessarily write home about, uh, but that that's a good segue because he does have he does have such a kind of fun flashy personality. He's not afraid to reveal himself. Maybe other other people would be shy to kind of uh express themselves that way and, and he's not and you you know he does have like a confidence and swagger about him uh which is part of why we love watching him tennis because why we love watching him play tennis because we do see it sometimes it's just seeing it on a consistent level um at the highest level which is uh, what we're looking for and I'm I'm hopeful we get at, at the U.S. Open.
1: Yeah and I think too you know we in the media and I think fans sometimes we get removed from that these are real people that this is a person this is Dennis walking onto the court and all of the aspects that go into competing at such a high level and the level is incredible. You and I have been courtside at these matches and The way that they are striking the ball, the pressure situations, the serving, the confidence, the physicality of it. I mean, tennis is one of the toughest professional sports out there, in my opinion. And I think you wonder too, for players like Felix and Dennis who've gotten a lot of pop in the media, who are national names in Canada, they're household names, there's a lot of pressure on them, there's a lot of money invested. You wonder if maybe a few months away just kind of feels good. Dennis is in the recording studio, Felix yeah. is spending time with his family. You just wonder as, as people, if they're they've been able to kind of say like, you know what, tennis is really important to me, but it's not my whole life. And if that allows them to maybe, quote unquote, do their job better, I don't know that. But I think when we look at it from the human perspective, it, it might offer them some of that opportunity just to kind of lower the shoulders a little bit and then to swing, as I was saying with Dennis, swing a little bit more freely because that's when they're the most dangerous.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, I mean, we even forget sometimes just how incredibly young these guys still are. I, I mean, we're, we're getting used to them on the tour because for Dennis, he's he's now been, somewhat of a household name, at least since that Montreal run from 2017. Now we're going on a few years, uh, and he is in his, in his 20s, but he's still a very, very, you know, young man, and Felix Oshiali as well. I mean, the breakthrough kind of happened so quickly, but uh, it was not very long ago whatsoever that he was just a young teenager. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to continue to blossom and grow, and uh, I, I really think the breakthrough could happen at any time.
1: And I think too, you know, we were speaking about this with Bianca and you could put it with Layla and you can even look at someone like Jeannie or Milos and say the same thing is that tennis careers are really long now. Uh, I mean, you look at what this generation, ha- their their true stamp on the history of the sport is elongating a career. Roger is not retiring. Uh, you know, he, he, Serena, Venus, Rafa, Stan, Andy they have all figured out a way to physically put themselves in a position to still be top tennis players well into their 30s. I mean, Venus just turned 40, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So when you look at these younger Canadian players, that's why I think with Bianca too – the road is really long and for them to kind of freak out or to feel uh, sure the pressure is always there, but they've got plenty, I think plenty of time to, I mean, Daniel Nestor is the, the greatest example of this, of a long career in tennis. And I really do think they can take stock in that. And that's, I think the language too, Ben, that you look at the agencies and the publicists and the tour and everyone that's advising these youngsters is that they don't have to feel like They've only got an eight-year window to be a top tennis player, and they've got a little more opportunity to really feel as though they can do big things in the sport.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly, and I, I'm hoping as well for for the tournament upcoming at the U.S. Open that this will be a reminder for some who sometimes forget about Milos Raonic in terms of the Canadian side of when he is playing. Um, you know, he's had so many struggles with with health and injury, but when he is playing, he is he is one of the more consistent players on the tour and can very frequently play at a top ten level, and we we've seen him reach number three in the world uh, as well. Uh, Milos Roundage is actually lined up to face Andy Murray um, as we record this. That that result will be in the books when people listen to this podcast, but uh, I, I sort of wonder if this could also, this tournament could also be a bit of a window of opportunity for veterans not only just like a Milos, but as you mentioned, like a Grigor Dimitrov. I'm looking at names like David Goffin or Roberto Bautista Agut, these these well-established players who are often hanging around top twenty, top fifteen, top ten, uh, but we've never seen a major like slam run from them. I mean, we've seen maybe, you know the occasional semifinal from Grigor or Bautista Agut, but I, I wonder if this is a, a real window of opportunity for players like that.
1: No, totally, and you know it's it feels a little uh, sexy punter. To talk about the players, the upcoming players, both on the men's and women's side, but I think you're totally right. You look at someone like Raunich, Gofan, these different guys who have been around for a while, and they've been knocking on the door. I think Milos, the biggest challenge is can he keep the body healthy through two grueling weeks of hardcore best-of-five tennis. I did appreciate that Milos got so much shade for that one photo that he posted on social media where he did look decidedly out of shape. I think it was maybe just not the best photo. But then he comes into Cincinnati and he wins his first two matches against quality players. He beat Sam Querrey and Dan Evans. And I, I think you're right, you know, kind of these forgotten underliers are the players that don't, you know, they're not a big three player, they're not an up and coming. And so they kind of fall on that middle ground. The media is maybe partly to blame for that because we like to talk about one or the other. But those, again, are the guys who have the experience and who could sneak into, say, a quarterfinal semi. And then once you've got that stage of a, a U.S. Open scenario, it's one's ballgame. It, if you're playing well, if you're playing confident then you have to give yourself an opportunity to hoist the trophy.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, There are so many fascinating storylines and it's just about a week away. I'm so excited to see Grand Slam Tennis again. And Nick, I'm so happy that uh, you were able to join me on Matchpoint Canada to to talk about the various storylines. And we're looking forward to your coverage uh, from Flushing Meadows. Uh, Also excited that you have the opportunity to be there
1: yeah thanks ben i appreciate it and i'm looking forward to it too i hope i really hope that they're able to pull this off the us open uh, overall because from what i understand there's been really a lot of great work that's been done to make this a, a safe event and it would be pretty historic for them to to see it happen successfully so thanks for the chat
0: yeah thank you so much you've been listening to match point canada we will talk to you next time